I, I know I've listened to some podcasts and they seem like there's they're just comedians and I was like I You know what, Cheryl? It's a lot of good editing. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, shiny Epi friends. I'm Lisa Bodner. Welcome back to the show. A quick note before we get into the conversation. So I had heard about Patreon for a while on the podcast that I was listening to, and I really had no idea what they were uh, until someone said to me, are you going to do a Patreon for your podcast? And so I dug into it and learned that, oh, it's a way for artists. Yes, podcasting is an art. Who knew? to receive some financial support for their work. And so I figured I'd make a Patreon for the heck of it. And much to my surprise, many of you have supported me with a few dollars a month. I appreciate this so much because, as you know, I serve as the producer, writer, host, editor, sound engineer, social media manager, and PR specialist for my show. I'm also a mom and an epidemiologist. The donations that anyone provides if they're a patron go to offset uh, the subscriptions I have for the recording platform, the podcast hosting site, the music library, and the transcript creator. I want to thank my patrons so far. Jonathan Jackson, Melissa Ward, Penny Gordon Larson, Stephanie Main, Leslie McClure, Alexander Sai, Blake Girardeau, Navina Jaspel, Roger Pang, Louisa Smith, Daphna Harrell, Ashley Westrick, Hoda Majid, and Carrie Keys. If you would like to be a patron, go to patreon.com and search for the show. However, if being a patron isn't in the cards right now, if you're not interested in doing it or you don't have the resources to do it, no big deal. Today I'm sharing a conversation I had with Cheryl Clark. Cheryl got her DRPH in epidemiology and biostatistics from Florida Agriculture and Mechanical University after getting an MPH at the University of South Florida. Cheryl has worked in public health for two decades. She worked in the Florida Department of Health for about 15 years, and now she is the Associate Director of Equity, Epidemiology, and Evaluation for the Association of Maternal and Child Health Programs. I hope you enjoyed this chat. Cheryl. Hi, Lisa. I'm so happy you're here. This is great. Cheryl, do you want to tell me about the art hobby? Was this a only a COVID, like a newly COVID hobby? I love, you know, I, I have an appreciation for all things art. And I always wondered, could I be that artistic person? Then I watch all these documentaries and behind the music. <laughs> so, and I'm like, no, maybe not. <laughs> I've done two things. One's called a paint and no sip where I take on YouTube. There's all these videos where it's like, what's the guy who used to do the painting on PBS? Bob Ross. Yeah, but they don't talk. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And they're speeded up like in five minutes. Yeah. I really got interested in pastel painting, which I discovered is chalk. (laughs) And don't you like smudge it with your finger or something? Yes. And there was dust everywhere (laughs) and me being, you know, Miss Asthmatic that did help. Um, (laughs) Then I was reading like, it can cause what, you know? And so, <laughs> so I would just 
you know, stop it every two seconds. And, uh, you know, so basically, I don't think I was creating, I was, I was mimicking, <laughs> but I produced some cool stuff, you know, and then the other thing, Garage Band, which started before COVID. Yeah, tell me about that. My iPad fried out. So I went to the Apple store and I was waiting for someone to talk to me. They started a, a, a Garage Band class. And it was this older lady. I said, well, shoot, she's in it. So <laughs> I do read music. So I actually pieced together a, a couple of songs. Yeah. Or whatever. It's a novelty. And then do you stick to it? Mm-hmm. On the art stuff, I started and then I do something kind of okay. And then I don't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I've been writing this chapter for this thriller. I wrote one chapter and it's awesome. <laughs> you mean a novel? You were writing a yes. novel? <laughs> yes, it's dynamic and I visualize it as a movie promo. Really? With the soundtrack and everything and who the actor would be. <laughs> Cheryl, how cool. And then I wrote it and then I didn't touch it for five years. <laughs> but I said, Don Cheadle's going to be this co-star. <laughs> And I don't know who's going to play me. Uh, <laughs> oh, you're in it. Oh, yeah. We're both detectives in Chicago. I've, I've written about three chapters now. You know, I thought when COVID happened, one of the things that I can do now that I'm home all the time is do that. And it, I, don't, I, I don't think I'm in a different boat that a lot of people thought they would learn a new language. Yes. Da, 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 da. And then you really don't. It's, we're living in a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. You know, lowering expectations rather than increasing expectations of yourself. Right. And one of the things I do, because my dad was learning how to draw, but I said, don't go for the the most complicated thing. Like don't draw the dog doing the dab or something. (laughs) I wish that I took the screenshot of you just dabbing. (laughs) Yeah. I I should hold it up with my uh, dog. Wait, is that what you did? You drew a dog dabbing? Yeah, because that was (laughs) one of the... Please share this with me. Will you? I will. Okay. Something that actually is is a YouTube video for kids. Sure, why not? And it was a dog, <laughs> <laughs> and he and he was excellent. I don't even know if I have it, but I'll send you. Yeah, the... will you take a photo of it and send it to me? Oh yeah, okay. yeah. I love. I'll the send idea. you a couple of my like the one that I'm most proud yeah, of. Yeah, do. So you know, yeah, COVID's been. I'm. I know I'm not the only one. I've lost not a relative due to COVID, but relative in a COVID season, an uncle that we didn't. We couldn't go to the funeral. Mm. You know, my mom was a little bit ill and she couldn't she have any visitors. Wow. I had asthma in the middle of it, you know, and then you were, you were having that conversation you thought you would never have. Like, do I really want to go to ER? Because people don't think I have COVID when I know I don't. Mm. And and then how some providers even treated, you know, you when, they, when you haven't had your test come, results come back. So a lot of that stuff is really also can inform epis. You have to understand the contextual. So can you tell me what your job is? What do you do? The title of my job is, is uh, Associate Director of Equity, Epidemiology, and Evaluation. I don't do what people call maybe, tra- don't do a lot of, uh, it's not field epi, and it's not a lot of what people even think applied epi is. I work for a membership organization. We provide technical assistance and also support and resources and also facilitation to state maternal and child health departments. Okay. And so my role within there is helping support the epidemiologists in the field of maternal and child health, namely um, Title V, 
which is the block grant that is that funds the majority of the maternal and child health services in our country and through the and in, in the territories and freely associated states. I'm really working with people to help them grow their skills or get to resources that will help them do their jobs, you know, in their states. And also well, we um, serve as kind of, a, not kind of, we serve as a liaison between the federal government and entities that are funding or supporting, you know, either um, from the CDC as an epi capacity. What does that mean? What a lot of times we'll, we'll have a cooperative agreement to help like uh, a learning collaborative or training or evaluation workshop or something like that. And then also too, we do support trainings like our national conference and our partners' national conferences. We help them plan their pre-conference. So we may sponsor trainings. The trainings could be methods like actually, you know, working with particular data sets, like one year was Medicaid, one year it was um, multi-level modeling, or it could be uh, I also one of the cooperative agreements is a leadership lab. Then we are not really talking about methods, which is really hard for EPIs mm-hmm. not to do, <laughs> but talking about how you can develop your leadership you know, using being an epidemiologist and use those skills to enhance your leadership and to grow your leadership, strategic partnerships and things like that, which I think that we are very much not trained to do. Yeah. Number one need and always want is methods training. Number two need is, okay, how do I work with people within my program, within our department, across agencies even? There's a big push, and rightly so, to have more um, representation and inclusiveness with communities. You know, so how, how does an epi person fit into that? Not only do we need to know how to measure what we always have measured, which are outcomes and adverse events and whatnot, but also some of the contextual and systems metrics of that, because when people are working to improve systems, improve Uh, representation and reduce racism and increase equity. How do you measure that? How do you measure it? Well, that's the question of the year. And I think one of the things is you have to just really think about what kind of almost like working it backwards and that's results-based accountability. What are you aiming for? How do you get there? But always with that constant thread that you need to involve either people with the lived experience, subject matter experts, and then how do you marry that with science and then respectability. You just have to do that. We know that statistics and data could be used in very good ways. It can be used in very kind of shady mm-hmm. ways. And so you become that. And so if an epidemiologist says, well, I only do data, I don't do evaluation. I think you're missing the point because evaluation is part of the data to me. And it goes back and feeds the programs and, and lets them know either I'm on the right track or I need to retool something or I need to go back and just build, you know, something, a different pathway because this isn't working or, you know, the community is not buying in it because they weren't involved in it Mm -hmm. in the first place. One of the reasons that I hear people say they're interested in, in not being in academia is because they really would like to see a positive impact of their work more quickly. 
and, that, and, and to me, you know, there's also a, a, a setting your expectations. A lot of things that we're aiming for are kind of these long haul deals. But the intermittent things for me have been um, I ran a state training, you know, where they wanted to have a, a black infant mortality. Um, they call it a healthy baby initiative, I think it was called, but it was focused on uh, racial disparities in birth outcomes, you know, and what they wanted was all the county health, de- health departments to eventually be able to host these town hall meetings with the mm-hmm. community. And one of the things that we thought was important that they understood their own data, you know, so we had um, statewide training webinars. And then also I gave them exercises to do where it was almost like a test, like look at your data. You know, if someone were to ask you in at the meeting, you know, do you have a black, do you have disparities in black infant mortality? What would you say, you know, or if, you know, how to, um, what are some of the factors that may influence an adverse or, you know, an, a non-adverse event, you would be able to say you would know your own data and then you wouldn't be speaking kind of falsehoods about trends that we really, especially the small mm-hmm. counties, really can't say. I was wondering if the content of the work that you're doing has changed with COVID. Do health departments want something different from you now? What we do know is that COVID has just heightened the disparity scenario in a major way, major ways with social determinants of health just being, you know, amplified. If you have a job that allows you to work from home and you can afford broadband, you're not struggling as much as someone who may be in a service industry, you know, where you may have been laid off or you may have been, you know, your business may have closed or you have to go in and you have children and who's going to take Mm -hmm. care of the kids. And so one of the things that, I mean, we focus on all the time was health disparities and what leads to the health disparities and systems and racism. But now that COVID is really just highlight that not only are communities of color and poor communities more at risk, but now they have less economic standing because of COVID and also more exposures to risk because sometimes they, most of the time they, they may have to go in to those jobs. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's kind of not so much of the high end, you know, technical. It's about working with people and seeing what the people need and having the people be involved in determining, you know, how things are used and how money is spent, how things are distributed. So what do you think, Cheryl, is the best part of your job? I like when I can help people know how to use data. That means not just being like a statistical geek, you know, that like I love spreadsheets and stuff like that, which yeah. I do. <laughs> I knew a person that would be, you know, for fun, like what's the prime number or whatever. I'm like, I don't know, you know, <laughs> and I don't really care. Uh-huh. And I can't add in my head. And But I think data and information is so powerful because like I said, it, it, it helps set the scene on where you need to go. And then also if you're on the right track. That's wonderful. What do you think based on your experience that PhD and MPH graduates are missing in their training? We would get these people in and they would really know their stuff, like SAS macros mm-hmm. and 
I have them bring sample code in. It's okay, now explain it. What does this, what does this mean? Well, what will this mean to a program? And they, and they hmm. couldn't, you know, odds or risk ratios and all that they could do. But how do you translate that? And what we try to teach in leadership lab is communication is so important. I helped write a brief on this series about, you know, racial disparities and, and racism, basically about respectful translation too. You know, I've been at conferences where we just heard this great speaker talk about social justice and then you go into a major breakout session and people are talking about the, the risk factor is black maternal race. And I just like, what, what, what? One of the things that we have to be, I think EPIs need to, hone in and learn is how to use that data and recognize that some data sets are biased. If they are, what's the risk factor here? One of the subheadings in the article I co-wrote was who are you calling a risk factor? Mm. You know, because you can't treat that like it's smoking cigarettes. You know, it's not that, uh, you know, black people just didn't inherit or people of color just didn't inherit this thing. And so what I, why I like to use contextual is because there's a historical pathway to this. The history is in medicine. The history is in uh, neighborhoods. The history is in economic structures. The history is in institutions. If there was a student who was coming upon graduation with a degree in epidemiology, how would they know that a job like yours is something that they would like? With universities, if they do have a career day or career panel, that they need to have that diversity on there. A lot of folks, even if they're state EPIs, don't know what other things they can do aside from working in a health department. Like in D.C. area, there's all these nonprofit organizations. They're advertising for epidemiologists all the time. Wow, okay. And also to feed and then how EPI, how EPI can be work in with policy. Mm-hmm. I used to do film photography and it would be out of a role. I maybe like to. Yeah. And then when I, when the thing I found out about photography and what made me love taking pictures with digital photography, I could take a million pictures and now I can do selfies all day. <laughs> I know where to hold the cam. That's why I did the, you know, I held the laptop up because I know my angles. You do. I watched America's top model <laughs> in, uh, <laughs> and I know the lighting and the golden hour, you know, and all that. The golden hour. You need to tell people what that is because they may not know. When the sun is setting, you get that golden light spectrum come in. It makes everybody look fabulous. <laughs> it's like singing in the bathroom, right? When you are, uh, you sound great when you're in the bathroom, but when you get in karaoke, not not so much, you know. Cheryl, do you live alone right now? Yes. So, what? Would- I've had many divorces though. <laughs> I've never been married, but I've had I've had some whopper divorces though. Woo. Wait, you've never been married? No. Wait, how do you have divorces if you're not married? Exactly. <laughs> you don't think that people, you know, people have fights over property? Probably even worse because in marriage the rules are defined, right? But if you live shack up together, who <laughs> gets what? You know, it's my car, but you own the stereo system. So what happens? (laughs) Do you have a celebrity crush? Oh, you know, (laughs) I have a couple of, uh, I call actor husbands. (laughs) 
And then I have some musicians. I think me and my mom would fight over Drake, you know, <laughs> when he first came out. Because my oh, you know, my, my mother had a crush on Drake and Chris Brown, you know. My um, actor husbands are Don Cheadle. Obviously, you're going to put him in your movie based on your yes, novel. Yes, I got to hurry up and do this so he can star in it, you know. Um, and then Keanu Reeves was, is another one. Mm. Um, I think it's, he's Virgo, Virgo, you know. So yeah. why not? Why not? I never wanted to meet celebrities, though. No, neither would I. I just, you know, have a little. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I could put myself in, in the Matrix just for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> You and Neo. Yes. Cheryl, did you have any nicknames growing up? Shoe Shoe. Shoe Shoe. Because I take my shoes off all the time. And I still take my socks off. And I can't find them. Um, Cheryl Girl. My grandmother used to call me all the time. That's cute. So if you lived in Pittsburgh, people would pronounce your name Cheryl. Cheryl Girl. I have a couple of aunts or cousins named Cheryl. And when I finally got to be, I don't know, like 15 or 16... I was like, hold on a second. I saw their name spelled. And I was like, their name is Cheryl. Cheryl. <laughs> it's two syllables. I thought it was like Cheryl, like short for Shirley. And it's like, no, right. Pittsburghers just can't say Cheryl. <laughs> Cheryl. <laughs> my grandmother was in the North Florida European handle. And a lot of my cousins and relatives never say Cheryl. Really? They go Cheryl. Cheryl. Hint Cheryl girl. Yep. And I remember I was pronouncing my name, and I think some guy was trying to holler at me, thought I was being smart. Like he thought I was slowing it down nice. on purpose. Like, no, I said, my name is Cheryl. He goes, all right, Cheryl. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Do you have a go-to COVID quarantine comfort food? Oh, last week I was stressed. Me too. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to do intermittent fasting and I, wasn't I happening was like, last week. One week I was drinking salsa practically. <laughs> because I was buying these big old, you know, quarts. Yeah. And then the next day I'd be like, it was be like maybe a quarter of a quart uh, left. Uh-huh. And I'm like, what am I doing? I mean, I know it's supposed to be like relatively low cal, but not the whole quart. <laughs> so last week I, I decided not to buy crackers. And not to buy chips. And I was I was fiending. <laughs> you know, I don't know what it is with me and salsa. You know, it, it just so satisfying. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Would you rather explore outer space or the deep ocean? Oh, I, 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 I think, oh, God, I'm so claustrophobic. I don't know. I, I would probably die. <laughs> I did go scuba diving on a coral reef. Mm-hmm. And I thought they were going to take us out just a little bit. And they took us way out. I would be scared. I was terrified, but I could not do space. Neither could I. I I can't. I I would be scared out of my mind. I can't make it through an MRI. I I try to be so brave. Like, okay, okay, I got to come out. (laughs) Me too. And then I get embarrassed. Like, okay, I could do this. And if we take you out one more time, we're going to start all over again. (laughs) Cheryl, this was so much fun. I had fun.
one intern that I uh, sponsored over the summer gave me a great card in that mug that says, I'm sorry, my expertise in epidemiology doesn't equate to your Google search. (laughs) 